download a podcast from Relay FM recorded Thursday, August the 31st, 2017. This is episode 19, Micromanaging the Middle Manager. And a content warning, we mention the names of smart assistants in this episode a lot. So you may want to mute that person in a canister or in a phone just in case we set it off. You know the one I'm talking about. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I am Jason Snell, your host, as always. And this week, I'm joined by two wonderful guests, executive editor at PC World, Melissa Riofrio. Welcome back to Download. Hello. Uh, It's that time of year, by the way, where um, I thank you for my cat because you connected me with the person who who got me my cat. And it's been three years yesterday since we got the cat. So we thank you. We thank you again for three years of cat. Mm -hmm. It's true. Also here, he did not get me a cat. It is Shahid Kamal Ahmad, the host of the Remaster podcast on Relay, longtime video game executive, developer, mentor, lots of things. Shahid, welcome back to Download. Thank you so much for having me back again. You owe me a cat now. I think yeah, that's yeah, how that works. Yeah, yeah, the gauntlet's works. been thrown. <laughs> you can have Rocket. Uh, no, actually, that's that's true. We both have Rocket Rocket pets, so it's a uh, it's a funny thing. How um, funny. The most interesting stories of the week is chosen by me and Stephen Hackett, who is under the weather. He's here in spirit. I mean, I don't mean he's a ghost. He's he's fine. He's just a little sick, uh, but he's not here in person. So let's talk about these interesting stories. Topic number one. Audio assistants sitting in a tree. Oh, okay, I don't know. I don't know if they're kissing, but they're they're buddies. They're holding hands and uh, having a conversation, and they they know about each other. And this is a rarity. It's a new kind of thing. Um, Microsoft and Amazon announced that Alexa and Cortana are now buddies, and you can ask Alexa. Oh my God, I'm going to set off everybody's echoes, right? Well, sorry about that. You can ask Amazon's audio assistant to talk to Microsoft's audio assistant and vice versa, or at least you will be in the near future. Uh, this is an interesting wrinkle in the world of voice assistants that we're trying to, uh, uh, we're, we're trying to adapt to already. And I, I thought I would start there, which is, um, how, do, how do you guys think this is... <laughs> Is this good? Is this bad? Is it, it seems weird to me that suddenly you're like asking one of your assistants to like make a call to a different assistant. But I don't know. Maybe it's a good thing. I, I have, have your people call your people. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I'll have my robot call my <laughs> other robot. It's very, it's very strange. Although on the other hand, if you're somebody who uses an Amazon Echo, I mean, having Cortana access on it would seem to be a good thing. It just seems a little confusing to me. What do you think? Uh, uh, well. Well, I'll start as someone who has so far resisted having to talk to any of my machines. Um, uh, and yet I'm not going to, you know, be a get off my lawn kind of person. I understand how convenient it can be to say something to a room and have something happen that uh, is convenient for you. I, I get that. I'm, I'm just not there personally myself yet. I'm a PC person, so I love the idea of interoperability. Um, I've always not enjoyed being trapped in an ecosystem. And so one of the reasons I didn't want to get an Amazon Alexa or a Google Assistant or anything is I didn't want to be trapped. Yeah, so this is so so the good of this is that uh 
it 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 suggests that maybe if you have a device you have access to whatever or at least some of the assistance you want or need rather than having it be like if you're here it's this assistant and if you're here it's that assistant and never the twain shall meet by exactly five, by five different canisters if you need to talk yeah, to all yeah why should it be about the capulets and the montagues or the hatfields and the mccoys we should all get along oh man this is just the ultimate can of worms for me as somebody who's been involved with technology for most of my life um there are things that i yearn for and there are things that i fear probably in equal measure and on good days i look forward to my jetpack and my flying car and on bad days i fear orwell and um tyrannical governments so most days are good for me what do i think about this integration well i guess from a customer perspective the device that's most entrenched in homes is the amazon echo the assistant that's most well known publicly i guess is siri by apple uh followed by uh, google's assistant and then cortana's kind of I wouldn't say coming up from the rear because that's unfair because the technology is actually excellent. I've had a good chance to look at these technologies from a video game development perspective and they are astonishingly good providing you get context right. Here's where I'm a little bit concerned. We all have online digital lives that are independent of us. We leave trails everywhere and we just don't know where they are. And the most pervasive of those trails is not Twitter or Instagram or anything like that. It's the stuff that gets picked up from our microphones in our devices that is used to continually improve the AI and the modeling of you as a human being with wants, desires, fears, whatever, for processing at some massive data complex that hosts a machine learning system. So what does that mean? That means that, you know, I spend an obscene, frankly, an obscene amount of money at Amazon. Amazon knows me very well without listening to my voice. But right now, despite the fact that my mic is supposedly muted, my guess is that while it's on, it's building up a profile of me, not just as a customer, but as a human being. What are the good points of that? The good points are, well, let's say there's integration with my calendar. And it might be a Google calendar, whatever. But if there's integration with my calendar, it can tell me things when I ask that are contextually related to my calendar. The downside from Amazon's perspective is that they don't have access to you when you're moving about. And most people nowadays are quite mobile. Siri has that. So uh, my guess is Amazon thinking we can't really build a complete profile of our customer without getting them in other environments. So work environments typically will have Cortana. I can't imagine many open plan offices where Cortana is open and people are just talking away at their assistant. So the isolation technology continues to improve. I'm wary of any one company having a complete picture of me from uh, a speech patterns perspective. I'm also wary of all of these companies eventually centralizing this information about me in one place. 
I would like to be able to own my digital life, but I just don't know where to start right now. Let's say I wanted my model back. You know, I can't have it. Amazon's got it. Apple's got it. Google's got it. Microsoft is is playing for it as well. And if they all combine at some point, yes, my life could be a lot more convenient. But, you know, as human beings, we love the idea that we have agency, that we have choice. There have been psychological experiments, for example, the illusion of control that show that we probably have less free will than we'd like to think. But nonetheless, as human beings, we love that. That's why we're kind of suspicious of self-driving cars. You know, we want that whole idea that we're in control. We decide, we make the decisions. But if my machines are making decisions for me and talking to each other about making those decisions, what does that say about our role as free agents in the future? And the the thing that gets me about all of this stuff, even though I find it tremendously exciting and potentially massively liberating, is that here we are entering an Orwellian world, but we're also Huxley about it. <laughs> the potential for good here is is great, but it does require this uh, trade-off, this acceptance that there is a machine somewhere that is churning through everything there is to know about you, which isn't fundamentally like bad, right? But it it is... Once that information exists and has been stored or written down somewhere, uh, then bad people <laughs> can use it, or um, or it could be used in in ways that we don't anticipate. I think that's the that's the danger. But you're right, the Huxley, you know, brave for people who haven't read Brave New World. I mean, it's a shinier um, dystopia, kind of, but it is still like we we it's free and it's convenient and it saves us on our. Uh, on the costs of the products we buy. And so we kind of gleefully accept it, um, not necessarily knowing what all the trade-offs are. Yeah, well, you've gotten very philosophical and existential here. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just really talking about, you know, do I want to care which device is in my home? And no, I didn't want to have three different devices, you know, Alexa and Google Assistant and everything to do different things around my home. Yeah, I I agree with you. my problem so here's here's the the other thing is everybody wants their own branding with their own assistants right and every assistant behaves differently and the problem i have with this microsoft uh, amazon announcement is that it is i just think of it from a user experience perspective right like it's already complicated dealing with <laughs> these assistants i another piece of news that happened this week is that uh amazon announced that the echo will do multi-room audio now which is great it's great news um finally if you've got two of these things and you say i want you to play this song everywhere uh, with a bunch of limitations right now, it will actually play them and they're synced and you've got multiple speakers in your home playing the same songs at the same time. That's great. But um, in order to do that, you have to say things like, hey, lady, play this song from this album, possibly because of, of it, maybe even from this service or from my library and and then you play it in this group and you end up with this whole long string that it's really basically like a unix command line command that you have yeah. turned into your voice <laughs> yeah and it's uh and so it's like great there's added feature functionality in the echo but there's all this added complexity and then you layer on top of that now i need you to, tell, to talk to cortana and now i'm in a different 
person. I'm in a different AI with different rules, but it's coming out of the same hardware with a different voice. And this is the thing that that strikes me. It's like, I like this idea from the sense of a flexibility standpoint, but in terms of like, can you get your other robot friend on the phone so that I can talk to her now? I just, uh, now you're inside a set of parentheses inside your Unix command line commands. And I, I were like, well, wait a second. Why are we doing this then? Because this is supposed to be conversational and easy. And it strikes me as being more just like complex power user computer stuff, which is what these voice assistants are supposed to get us away from. I also think about the the issue with like, is this going to turn into a game of telephone where every time you relay the message, it gets warped in some way? Because, you know, how do Cortana and Siri, I mean, Siri's not even in the picture, how do Cortana and Alexa even understand each other? That's another issue. Right. Oh, right. Or or, or, or can they? Or, or is it literally like... Um, Right. It probably isn't like, can you tell your friend to do this? And then, and then it comes back as like, well, my friend said this. So what do you want to do now? It's probably more like literally connect me to my friend, the other robot. And then you're in there and then, you know, you're done. And then you have to leave that context or does it hang up on the other AI? I, I don't know. Um, it's but, almost like um, micromanaging a middle manager. Yeah, that's right. Now, now call him. Now, now what did he yeah. say? Okay, now yeah. call him. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas what you want, you want a really good middle manager who will understand you. So you hire the middle manager that you want. Let's say I've hired um, Alexa, for example. And I've asked Alexa using the mannerisms that I know that Alexa understands, except that uh, uh, Amazon's Echo doesn't understand or doesn't have the facility to deliver what I asked for. But it knows that if it speaks to, um, you know, uh, Cortana or whatever else they alive with in the future, they'll be able to deliver what I need. I shouldn't need to know which service uh, needs to be used in order to deliver something. So, for example, if I want to listen to some music, I shouldn't have to say, play this from my Spotify account. Or if I'm listening to a podcast, I shouldn't have to say, play this from tune in or whatever it is you know it should just find the most appropriate right. way of delivering it i don't want to micromanage my middle manager well think about um siri um when you ask siri for something it uh it has multiple data sources as they all do sometimes you can see them on the on the phone with siri and you don't say uh siri what about this thing on Wolfram Alpha, right? You don't do that. You just say, what about this thing? And then Wolfram Alpha may be the source, or Google may be the source, or Wikipedia may be the source, or Yahoo may be the source. It doesn't matter. So it would strike me that the right way to do this is not to have like a phone call that you make to Cortana, but that instead... Um, the the Amazon AI says, oh, I can solve that with Cortana, uh, and here's an answer, and maybe even say, I asked Cortana, and this is what Cortana said, but not to be like, I'm going to connect you, placing a phone call to another AI, because that just seems completely ridiculous to me. I don't know. Right, and at the moment, we can't fire these people and hire <laughs> a new ones, you know? <laughs> Let's well, say they and- don't give us the results we want. We can't say, you know what? Uh, I'm done with you. <laughs> Give me well, a new AI. Well, they are AI. kind of like employees because you could say, hey, Cortana, buy me something. And she'll say, well, you'll have to ask Alexa for that. It's not in my job it's description. It's not, not my job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I am, I'm now picturing a workplace sitcom featuring all of the AIs. Um, like the, It's basically the office, except there's nothing on any of the desks except little plastic cylinders. 
yeah, for a laptop. Blinking at you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's 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 the future. Get on that, Hollywood. I'm Our, sorry, Dave. I can't. Do oh God. That. That's it. He's the boss. Hal <laughs> nine thousand is the boss. I'm sorry. I had to. <laughs> yeah, he's the owner. He owns the office. Hal nine thousand does. All right. We have more topics to talk about on this edition of Download, but I want to stop for a moment and tell you about one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you in part by FreshBooks. If you own a small business, you know what a chore administrative work can be. It's a total grind. It's not what you got in business to do, but it's something you need to do to keep your business running. You're not alone. More than five million small business owners have felt the exact same way. Well, that is until they discovered FreshBooks. FreshBooks is simple cloud accounting software that's transforming how small business owners handle their paperwork. It's great for invoicing. You can create and send an invoice in as little as 30 seconds. No formulas, no formatting, just perfectly crafted invoices every time. Your clients can pay you online, which often means you get a pay, you end up getting paid a lot faster. And isn't that nice? There's also a super handy deposit feature. You can invoice for a payment upfront when you're starting a project. They can even show you whether or not a client has looked at that invoice you sent them. So you'll know if they've seen it and just aren't paying you. So you don't have to send that email that says, did you see that? You'll know they saw it. This is just a fraction of what FreshBooks can do. You owe it to yourself to break free from that boring administrative work and let FreshBooks help you in your small business. You can get a 30-day free trial by going to freshbooks.com slash download FM and enter download in the how did you hear about us section thank you to freshbooks for supporting download topic number two this week google announced ar core which is its answer to apple's ar kit was which was announced in june this is an interesting story because it's really the case that google and apple have been working on augmented reality stuff for a while now apple made it a cornerstone of their developer conference in june after which took place after uh, google's and uh and it's a cornerstone of ios 11 which is going to be coming out next month and google had been working on all this ar stuff too so they seem to have made a gap announcement basically because they don't want the conversation about ar to run all the way to apple and not uh have google be part of the conversation so it's an augmented reality system very much like ar kit in ios 11 it will be limited at least initially to the pixel and the samsung galaxy s8 uh but they hope to have 100 million Android devices supported when it launches. So um, I'm curious what you think about Google's announcement and what it says about I, I'm kind of delighted because it shows the competitiveness of Silicon Valley that they're like, uh, we don't we've got this. Why don't we have this announced um, and sh- and start to ship it because Apple's doing it. And I like that about it. Um, and then I'm also interested in just how AR has suddenly become in the last few months a uh, basically it seems like a key smartphone feature um shahid what do you think hugely exciting google had to do it of course and i suspect they might have brought their announcement forward a little more than they would have liked um in an ideal world simply because of the apple announcement but of course there's no doubt that they've been working on this for a very long time you could argue that aspects of ar were present in google glass so in that sense you could say Google had a lead in that area. And of course, all of these companies, whether it's Apple or Google, have got R&D in these areas all of the time. The key advantage I think Apple have had is they their cameras have always been fantastic, absolutely uniformly fantastic. And that helps with AR. You really need good cameras for it. And there's a reason why it only works on the latest generations. I think 
the 6S Plus and the 6S onwards will handle AR. And there's a reason why with uh, Google's AR Core that only a couple of phones are supported. It's extremely intensive. You know, there's a lot of image processing going on. But the the area where I think Google are probably uh, less happy is in just how much traction Apple have managed to get with developers with ARKit. It's phenomenal. The amount of cool stuff coming out, and it's so intrinsically linked to Apple's offering that it's going to be a hard mountain for Google to climb in terms of perception with the developer base. The other thing is, I think, Apple, I'm I'm imagining that at the next iPhone announcement, there will also be high-profile AR offerings being announced as well. You know, here's what you can do with the latest iPhone. We've been working with, um, you know, developer X of massive repute, and this is the most incredible stuff you'll ever see, and here we have to present it live, developer X. And so that is going to help them enormously because they've had products in the works for a long, long time. Of, yeah, and the thing is, I don't think anybody had any idea just how much could be done with AR until ARKit was was launched as a developer preview. I'm hugely excited about it because before it was always a very edge case. There was the odd uh, game, very few applications that used it. It's not like AR is radical technology. It's been possible to do it on a huge number of devices for a long time. In fact, I saw an example of AR being done back in 2006 uh, on a very uh, low-cost device. I think it might even have been uh, a PSP. You remember the first uh, PlayStation Portable? Mm-hmm. I had one. Yeah. So I saw it done on that. So, you know, th- this, this thing has been possible for a while. It's just been a little bit flaky. The Excellent cameras, the higher power phones mean that it's become a lot more resilient and robust. And some of the things I've seen being done with it are just incredible. So I'm really excited about it. I think where this stuff really starts to take off, though, is when there's dedicated AR hardware. I don't know how that's going to be done. You know, m- maybe it's it's time for another Google Glass. Obviously, it's not going to be Google Glass. It's going to be something else. The, the problem there, I think, was... It was very much seen as a creepy device and not as an entertaining device or as as a useful and productive device. And I think perceptions have changed a lot since then. People are much more comfortable with being snapped. What they don't like is being it is a sense that they might be getting spied upon. If there's any company that can overcome that barrier, you know, that that creepiness barrier, it's Apple. I think at some point they will come up with some kind of device because they'll be blown away with the with the response they've had to ARKit. They'll come up with a device that makes truly portable mobile useful AR a lot more feasible for the for the mass market because at the moment despite the huge amount of variety that we're seeing in all of these demos and uh, very cool ideas not just games of course the the issue is you still have to f- hold a phone up in the air and there's a limit to how long people are going to do that. So I, I suspect we'll see quite a few gimmicks, quite a few uh, good games, but short games, until somebody, and I would imagine it's going to be Apple, produce a device that's much more comfortable. But yeah, it's a hugely exciting time for AR, I think. Melissa, what do you think about all this AR, AR stuff and, and Google 
saying, don't forget about me. <laughs> Poor Google. Uh, well, first of all, I had a AR experience uh, earlier this year. I was in Barcelona and I went to a museum, actually a, a Gaudi building, where they gave you this thing that gave you an augmented reality experience as you walked through the home. Uh, and some of it was a little cheesy, like they went to this really amazing looking fireplace where you could actually sit in the fireplace and warm your hands. And they had, you know, little flames and puffs of smoke coming out. And I'm like, I didn't really need to imagine fire that vividly. However, uh, to what uh, Shahi said a minute ago, I mean, um, when you have this dedicated device and you have it all set up right, you can, you know, enhance uh, an experience with it. Um, perhaps a little cheesily. Um, and I do agree that augmented reality is something that um, is probably going to be a little easier to attain than virtual reality or even mixed reality, which I'm very familiar with, um, you know, with Windows 10. Um, and uh, in the case of AR kit, I mean, isn't it fantastic when you can control your entire ecosystem? Apple, you know, came in and did this. And as Shahid said, they have so many developers behind them. And I think a challenge for Google is that they kind of don't really control their ecosystem, right? I mean, there are a zillion Android phones out there with a zillion different capabilities. And even they admit that, that it's only really in the future as more of these phones have depth sensing capabilities uh, at the mainstream level that they're going to have enough users uh, who are going to be able to use it to encourage the developers to develop for it and so on and so on, chicken and egg. So um, uh, I do agree that they had to say they had this because Tango wasn't going anywhere and they needed to show that they were in the game. I think I think it's good, right? I mean, I, I if I was it's Google good. and I was sitting on something that was pretty close, that was a lot like ARKit, and I was seeing all of the conversation that Apple has already kicked off and all the developer excitement, and knowing iOS 11 is going to ship, Apple is already making a big deal of the fact that it's going to be the largest AR platform vendor in the world when iOS 11 ships. All of these things that Apple is saying. If I'm Google and I know what tech we've got and that it's that it's close to ready to go, I would definitely have one of those. Uh, what are we waiting for moments like they're eating our lunch out there and we've got something great too and we need to have a story even if because of the nature of the android market it has to be limited to very specific phone models because of how many different android phones are out there the fact is you throw in the pixel because it's google and you throw in the samsung phones because they're samsung and you've got a huge user base right because samsung is such a huge portion of the android market that that yeah that that you know it gets them in the game and i keep coming back to it gets them in the conversation because stories that would have been written on september 12th when the new iPhone gets announced, uh, would have been written saying AR kit, Apple showed all this stuff, Apple's way ahead here. Some of those stories are now going to say Google also is doing this. And that's good for Google to be in the story instead of being um, relegated to being an also ran in AR. So it's a smart move on their part. I think it's a really smart move. Um, you, you know where I think Google could snatch a lead is in location-based AR. Because, frankly, I still think they have better map data. Oh, far better. Sure. And and when you're tying in, if you're, if you're using those services, although I think on the iPhone, if you wanted to, you could use Google Maps services in your app if you wanted to. I think that that's possible. But the, the base stuff, I, I think you're right. Um, Shahid, I mean, I know you've spent a lot of time thinking about VR in games. Um, 
AR is it does it have that similar kind of potential to uh to be a place for um uh, not just games but uh you know is this something that we're going to be really excited about in a year or is it going to be something that kind of looks cool and then doesn't have any practicality and just kind of fades away both AR and VR have got two major issues the first is that they are given the current uh development rate of hardware and the systems that are out there, they they are kind of clumsy and awkward. You know, holding a phone up, holding an, an, a pad up is awkward and clumsy. You could do it for a photo, you could do it for a quick video, but to hold it up for a long time is just painful. And VR is also encumbered, if you don't mind me using that, that term, by the frankly quite heavy and um, isolating headsets that are out mm-hmm. there. But yeah, this is just the beginning stage, you know, it's just the beginning. It will change. The headsets are going to become glasses. The glasses will become lenses and then it will all disappear because there will be some kind of implant or beam directly into your brain. So this is just the first stage. They're all plagued by this at the moment. They are very, very different technologies, of course. I think AR is going to have more mass appeal because people already have the devices in their hands to deliver this experience. And you do not need to isolate yourself in order to see what's going on. It's possible to deliver some truly um, profound wow moments using AR, but they're not immersive. They're just wow moments. The beauty of VR is you you can completely replace your existing reality with any other reality that you choose to create as a developer. And that means you're able to achieve a level of immersion that is impossible in in AR. AR is not designed for that. AR, by definition, is meant to augment the experience that you already have. Virtual reality, of course, is meant to completely replace the experience that you have. And so it's potential to deliver creative works, powerful experiences, moving experiences to remove you from where you are is unmatched. But the big problems with both of those, both AR and VR right now, is just they're a little bit clumsy, but that will improve. Technology always does. You know, we I, I was speaking to someone actually just yesterday, someone very um, highly regarded in the industry about VR and I, I said that there are a few people thinking that the the ship had sailed on VR. And this person, <laughs> who, who I respect hugely, said, oh, the ship hasn't arrived yet. You know, Microsoft still got their stuff to get into the market. The software isn't here yet. It will come. And, and that just, this, this person knows their stuff. So I was really relieved to hear somebody who knows their stuff express it in such a way. So, yeah, of course, you have got that little bit of a dip after the initial hype. But the tech is going to get better. It's already great. And when it does, when it becomes less cumbersome, I think you're going to get a lot more people interested in it. Yeah, I just played a multiplayer Star Trek game. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, with some of my colleagues at work and um and and it was it it had its clumsy moments for instance you got to select what kind of character you were and i selected a female why not so my costume changed but my hands didn't change you have the same hands no matter which character you are and i said okay these hands are not lady hands it's not that they (laughs) needed to have a manicure but they were just clearly not remotely lady hands and i thought okay 
Note to developers, make lady hands, you know, but on the other hand, I really enjoyed when I had my headset on looking around and seeing the environment they'd created on the bridge, you know, and I could look out the window and see things going by. I thought, okay, I can see where this is going. It's just as Shahid said, it's very clumsy still. We all had headsets. We had this crazy computer set up to enable the four-way game. I mean, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, I think the uh, using the smartphone, the, the reason the AR stuff is happening now is because the smartphone, everybody's got one. They're incredibly powerful. And so AR, they've got great cameras, as Shahid mentioned. So AR is a logical place to start. Uh, you can see why even with VR, with things like Google Cardboard and the HTC Vive, right? There, there's a lot of... There's a lot of, is it the HTC or maybe it's another one? There's a lot of like smartphone technology that people are like, you know, the way into AR and VR is smartphones just because even though they don't necessarily have the power of a dedicated gaming PC or something like that, they're pretty powerful and they're everywhere and they've got positional sensors. And that's why I think, you know, in the long run, is augmented reality going to be something where you're holding a phone up to your eyes and looking around? No, they're going to be glasses or goggles or something like that, right? But it's too early for that. (laughs) So stick it in a smartphone and we'll learn and we'll progress and then at some point the hardware will catch up i don't know yeah i think it's exciting ar and vr both um and it's good to see google in the game and i just like again i really like to see it where uh there is some highly contested part of any any industry any market where there are competitors and you know the game is on and in ar we see it now with google and apple and uh and uh, of course, Microsoft is there too. And in VR, there are a lot of players too. It's fun. It's exciting. It's so exciting. And with, with AI as well. So, you know, I, I might have sounded like a bit of a, a doom monger when it came to the the voice stuff, but that's that's not the case. Most of the time, my optimism prevails. Uh, I, I just think that we, we are outpacing our evolution. We have these almost intelligent entities that are abstract and we're not that far away from having them real, you know, real robots that we're able to interact with and, and work with in a meaningful way. And who knows, 20, 30 years, they have some kind of uh, consciousness. We're, we're not too far away from that. So I, I just think as long as we're careful, as long as we have safeguards, you know, Asimov's three laws of robo- mm-hmm. robotics even, then then I think we're going to be okay. I think the future is extremely exciting. There's some phenomenal convergence happening between all of these technologies and i I can't wait all right uh we have one more topic to talk about but first let me take a break and tell you about our other sponsor this week on download it's away your luggage shouldn't cost more than your plane ticket that's why away makes smart premium suitcases for under 300 dollars. go to awaytravel.com slash download now and browse away suitcases they're all made with premium german polycarbonate it's unrivaled in strength and impact resistance and it's still very lightweight they offer four different sizes of suitcase there's the carry-on the bigger carry-on the medium and the large and they have nine great colors for you to choose from away suitcases feature a patent pending compression system which is great if you're an overpacker along with four 360-degree spinner wheels. Away's carry-ons are compliant with all the major U.S. airlines while still maximizing the amount you can pack. They have TSA-approved combination locks built in, and there's a removable washable laundry bag so you can separate your clean clothes from your worn ones. Uh, Perhaps one of Away's best features is both sizes of the carry-on feature USB ports, and they got a little battery inside. 
provide so you can charge your device while you're traveling. A single charge of the Away Carry-On can provide enough battery to charge your phone five times. You'll never be without power again when you are on the go moving from place to place. We actually used, we brought our Away Carry-Ons. We have two. Liked the first one so much, we bought a second with us on our road trip recently, and we're in a alfalfa field in idaho and our phones are running down and i say to my wife get out the suitcase (laughs) and we charged our phones right there using our away suitcase pretty great away believes in the quality of their products this is why they offer a lifetime guarantee if anything breaks they'll fix it or replacement for life they have a 100-day trial with no questions asked return policy. So if you can try it and decide you don't like it, you send it back. It's okay. Free shipping on any order within the lower 48 states of the U.S. Travel smarter with a suitcase that charges your phone. Find out more about Away by going to awaytravel.com slash download and use that code download at checkout to save $20 off any of the suitcases. Awaytravel.com slash download. Thank you so much to Away for supporting the show and all of Relay FM. Now, before we move on to topic number three, I just want to very quickly mention a story you might have missed. It may have flown under your radar, although if you've got a Whole Foods store near you, maybe it didn't. Amazon's deal with Whole Foods has closed. Amazon has bought Whole Foods, and the first thing Amazon did was cut prices in Whole Foods stores by quite a lot on a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, stock standard kind of numbers, like bananas and things like that, um, that are way cheaper than they used to be at Whole Foods. And it's going to be an interesting uh, time to see how Amazon repositions Whole Foods to be uh, more price competitive because it really wants to take it to other grocery stores and also how other Amazon features such as Prime, which is supposedly becoming the Whole Foods membership model, uh, that Prime members will get discounts at Whole Foods, how that works out. As a Prime member who lives within walking distance of a Whole Foods, I am very interested to see how this all plays out. And if you have uh, bypassed those Whole Foods bananas because they were just too expensive, you might want to look at the price tags in your Whole Foods next time you're going by because Amazon's in charge now and things are a little bit different. Interesting. So in case you missed it, there it is. Let's move on to topic number three. IFA uh, is happening right now in Berlin. And there are lots of different tech announcements, mobile, desktop, tablet, all sorts of other things. There's lots going on. And this is one reason I wanted Melissa on this episode, because, of course, PC World is all over it. Um, The two things that I thought were interesting that I've seen so far are more smartwatches for people who have declared the smartwatch market dead. Samsung's got new watches. Fitbit's got new watches. I I think I saw some other new smartwatches announced today. So that's interesting. I also saw Acer came out with a new tablet, the Switch 7, that uh, initial reports seem to suggest is going to give Microsoft Surface a a run for its money a little bit. So there's a lot going on at IFA. Uh, Melissa, what, what do you think about what's going on in Berlin this week? Well, the most exciting thing for us is um, the new PCs like the Acer Switch 7. It's actually a, just a whole new generation of PCs that are coming out with Intel's new 8th generation core CPUs. Um, the family is still growing, but the uh, first processors they came out with were for laptops. And they're saying that these uh, CPUs will be quad-core instead of dual-core and will offer up to 40% more performance compared to the the prior generation. So for anyone who's used any laptop up to now, and it's like, well, it's small and thin, but not very powerful, or it's, gosh, it's it's more powerful, but it's really big and heavy. Having a powerful quad-core CPU that you can put into a really slim product like the Switch 7 
is amazing. It's great. It makes me not want to buy a laptop until more of these come out because um, it's always been an issue. It's been a barrier for laptop users that if you want something slimmer and lighter, you weren't going to get a lot of power uh, and that you'd have to lug around some five or six or eight pound you know, thunker if you wanted some decent performance. And there is the promise of much better performance. And with the Switch 7 specifically, well, first of all, it's black. <clears throat> but um, second of all, yes, it is um, uh, a two-in-one like the Surface, but it's a little bigger and it has one of these new CPUs that we know is going to be 40% faster than the CPU in the Surface Pro that just came out a few months ago. And so, yes, you know, Acer, which is, you know, maybe only the number four or five computer maker in the world, is is leapfrogging uh, the original, the ER 2-in-1. Interesting. Yeah, I uh, I like the fact that everybody's not seeding that category to Microsoft too. Like, <laughs> like the switch seven looks really good. And I, I like the fact that it looks like um, it, it's going to make people who are thinking about getting a surface kind of pause and go, Hmm, what do you think of the two in one category in general? Is that, I, I mean, I love the idea of it. It, it, it you know, but is it, is it popular enough? Is it, is it something that people want or do people look at them and think, wow, this is so cool. And then just buy a regular laptop because they're more comfortable with that. Yeah, the wow, this is so cool part um, can be limited by how you feel about the keyboard that comes with it. You know, these two-in-ones have a detachable keyboard, and either there's some problem with how it attaches to the tablet where it's floppy or too loose or too tight. I recently had an experience where trying to pull the keyboard away from the tablet, I felt like I was going to break it. It was so strong. Um huh. But on, but on the other hand, sometimes the whole thing flops over onto the floor and, you know, there goes $900. So um, uh, I do think that even with all the, um, the two-in-one hype uh, and the portability that people have seemed to be more comfortable ultimately either with a traditional clamshell or a convertible where you have a 360-degree hinge, you can flip it around and have a tablet experience, but you're not trying to attach or or detach anything, uh, and it's not flopping over on your lap. Lapability, what we call lapability, has been a real issue with two-in-ones because the kickstands that come out from the tablet side, you know, they don't necessarily sit on your actual lap very well. Yeah. And so all the all the vendors have backed up and said, well, we didn't really mean your lap. Put it on a desk. It's much better that way, so it's really. A, so it's a desktop then, not a laptop. It's a desktop, but oh, yeah, gosh, that's confusing, <laughs> isn't it? So, um, you know, that's an issue, too. I, I use clamshells. I actually have three uh, with me right now. And um, it's just nicer to know that I can have something that's well-balanced. And wherever I put it, it's not going to flop over. Now, that's my my iPad. Um, I bought a... a uh, uh, for my 12.9-inch iPad Pro, I bought the only one I could find that was a uh, a laptop uh, key- or a keyboard with a hinge and clips so that I could slide it in and make it lappable, right? Because everything else was, <laughs> you can put it on a table, and it's like, well, that's great, but I kind of want to sit with it on my lap on the couch or in the backyard in a, in a chair and not yeah. sit it on a table. And, and that's, you know, I, I guess we're finding out that there are, are different use cases for devices and that some people are laptop people and some people are tabletop people, whether they're, uh, even if they're using a laptop or a tablet. I don't know. Should do you have any, any opinions about uh, laptops and convertibles and things like that or, or not? I'm trying to find the perfect balance like you i have a 12.9 inch ipad pro 
And depending on the occasion, I will pair it with Apple's smart keyboard, which I don't particularly like the feel of. And I also have one of those Studio Neat canvas things. It's Studio Neat that make them, isn't it? Yeah. And I have that with the Apple keyboard. And I absolutely love that. But of course, that then turns it into a desktop. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, most of the time, I want to use my iPad with a keyboard. I'm near some some desk. And that's when I want to use a keyboard. So I don't really have that issue. I'll tell you what I really like. This is a may, maybe a little bit crazy. But uh, from an ergonomic perspective, what I'd like is when I'm using the iPad on my lap. I'm usually on the sofa. And sometimes I just want to stretch my legs out. What I'd like is to be able to have a keyboard that supports the iPad higher than the current position. It would require some lightweight but extremely firm struts to hold it in a much higher position mm -hmm. and would possibly cause balance issues. But it would mean that I'm not straining my neck looking down at my lap. And the same is true, of course, of any laptop. So uh, pipe dream, maybe. Yeah, ergonomics are, are uh, not something we talk about a lot when we talk about technology, but all of these things, two-in-ones, convertibles, laptops, tablets, they all have ergonomic issues. And I spend a lot of time, I wrote a couple articles at my uh, the, the bar in my kitchen with my iPad in a... Uh, in a like a wood stand to tilt it up but it was still you know probably too low um mm -hmm. yeah what about the smartwatch stuff I, I you know i keep seeing stories about how oh only the apple watch is is really successful or smartwatches have all fizzled and all that and yet you know samsung has the new gear watches that they announced at ifa fitbits ionic was announced in the past week as well so it's not like uh it's not like the smartwatch uh, manufacturers are giving up and going home. There, there seems to be uh, still a lot of a lot of push in this area. Well, for uh, Samsung's a particular case because for, Samsung will never cede anything to Apple. They are bound <laughs> and determined, you know, to say if you can do it, we can do it too. And also, Samsung kind of has its own ecosystem in South Korea, so it it actually does have the resources and the enthusiastic audience to do something like this. Um, but on a on a more personal uh, scale, I I actually am just glad to see that that they're not as chunky as they used to be. Every single year, sure, um, they've they've made you know the the new gear the new gear fits actually are starting to look like something I wouldn't be embarrassed entirely to wear. I'm not going to wear one, but <laughs> but I'm not going to look at it and go, oh god. Yeah, yeah. The um, Garmin also is playing this game as well as Fitbit, and it sounds like everybody is is also doing. They they've all found out something similar to what Apple has found out. We've seen Apple refine its message about what the Apple Watch is and talk much much more about fitness. And you can see Garmin and Fitbit sort of saying, um, "No, that's our business. <laughs> We're going there too." <laughs> and everybody's making these three hundred dollar uh, fitness focused smartwatches. Uh, so that's definitely a category that at least there's heat in. Whether it's successful as a market or not i think is an open question but definitely uh people who want to be there uh and yeah the samsung samsung watches look pretty good they've got a band that looks much more like a fitbit kind of thing and then they've got the one with the round uh the round face so they've got a couple a couple different models well and you were mentioning the prices before if i may break in again i yeah. think Maybe Apple also gave the other competitors permission to be more expensive. Yeah. Oh, sure. Right. Like maybe, maybe that's the uh, the uh, the trick here is that knowing what this market looks like and that maybe it's not a mass market where they're going to sell hundreds of millions of these things and having Apple in the market at the price of the Apple Watch that gives them a little bit of freedom to not kind of race to the bottom and pack more features in and and 
compete on kind of luxury and features instead of just on price. Although let's be let's be fair, Samsung's Gear Fit Two Pro is one ninety nine, uh, and the Gear Fit is one seventy nine, and and uh, what's the Gear Sport? Gear Sport's about two fifty probably. So um, yeah, so Samsung is also is also being somewhat aggressive on the price side, which is not too surprising either. Yeah, yeah, but then the Fitbit Ionic is $300. Yeah, yeah. and so was the Garmin uh, Vivo Active 3. They're both $300 fitness watches, basically. Yeah, yeah. so... Yeah, Apple says it's okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and, and it'll help them make better devices, because, yeah, you're right, they're not going to be racing to the bottom. Yeah, exactly. Defining that, that for a, a really nice sports watch, it's, uh, it's okay to have it be... Three hundred dollars, or or you know, of course, apples are like the Nike uh, Apple Watch is three seventy, of course, because it's Apple, it costs a little bit more, <laughs> but in the ballpark, rather than trying to trying to race down to one seventy nine for a sports watch. Exactly. Shahid, do you have any smartwatch feelings? I used to be ambivalent about my Apple Watch. Of course, I was a day one purchaser. I said day one, well, uh, version one purchase. I don't think I actually got it day one. I thought about it for a few days because at first I thought, uh, watch, no, no, uh, I don't really want this. Let's be sensible. And then, of course, it's Apple. I caved, you know, as I always do. Since there is now um, a mechanism through which I can see my blood sugar continuously on my Apple Watch. Now, don't get excited. It's not Tim Cook giving me his personal Apple Watch with its built-in, you know, blood sugar sensor that doesn't puncture the skin. This is actually connected to a Dexcom G5, uh, which is a device that does puncture the skin uh, and sits on my abdomen continuously for a week or two weeks and continuously transmits my blood sugar. Um, For those who don't know, I'm a type 1 diabetic. So it transmits this potentially life-saving information to my phone, which then displays it on a complication continuously on my watch. Since then, I've realized that the watch is actually saving my life, is actually extending my life, because I can make decisions about the management of my condition on a real-time basis. It's completely changed the way I'm able to uh, control my diabetes. I can stop myself having a hyperglycemic attack because the watch will alert me when my blood sugar begins to drop. I can prevent myself having an extremely high blood sugar by looking at uh, a transient that's spiking upwards and delivering just the right amount of insulin. It's not quite the artificial pancreas, but just having this functionality on an, on an iPhone and then having that transmitted to a watch now means that when Apple do announce their next generation of watch, I'm there, I'm signed up, Hmm. Uh, I'm very happy about it. Also with, I believe they're doing this thing called core Bluetooth, which will mean that you no longer need to have your phone with you, which can be very useful in the gym, for example, where you don't really want to be taking your your gym when you're doing your sets or whatever. What you'd really like is for that transmitter to be sending information directly to your watch. That will happen with the next watch, with I believe with watchOS 4. So I'm really excited about that. I've become a complete convert, and I think Apple have got exactly the right idea about this. I love the fact that they're talking openly, even Tim Cook talking openly, about uh, sensing blood sugar without um, breaking the skin as being absolutely pivotal to the treatment of diabetes in the future because having that information is life-changing 
I think that's one of the reasons also why you're seeing so many of the watches have a fitness and health story. And that's Apple, you know, to a certain extent leading the way there. But I think the story that you tell is uh, indicative of how like all of the people making smartwatches are thinking sensors, health. There's there's something there, whether it's from Apple or someone else, there's something in in that, that that's a, that, you know, you, you obviously, you know, it has served this purpose for you to the point where you're, you're, you're there for the next one. And that's, that's another way to sell these products is to make them incredibly useful for people in their, in their, uh, in terms of managing their health. So they're, they're still, it's a smartwatch. It's a fun category. It's, um, everybody's still trying to figure out exactly what the right spots are. Like nobody really knows. Like the wrist is interesting. They're what are the, what are the categories? What makes somebody convert and say, no, I, I, I need to buy one of those. And is it, is it exercise tracking? Is it, is it, uh, things like blood sugar and other, uh, other health logging? I don't know. I think they're still figuring it out. All right. Let's, uh, take one last break before we go. Just want to remind everybody it's membership season here at relay you can support podcasts all the great shows here at relay you can support one podcast that you like that could be download that could be somewhere else go to relay.fm slash membership to find out more and sign up to support this show or other shows on the network and people who do support the network get a bunch of stuff there's a newsletter there's a regular podcast where different hosts of the network cross over and talk to each other and there's a whole bunch of uh, specials this month and uh, early in september as well for uh, each show on the network is basically trying to do something that's special that's just for members. There's a special podcast feed for the members to get it. We're going to do a download clockwise kind of crossover with Dan and Micah on clockwise. And uh, we don't even know what it's going to be about yet, but that'll be out next week. So you can check that out if you're a member to Relay. Look for it. But uh, that's it for this week. In the ne- next week, more from IFA for sure. Uh, the week after that, Apple will be having its event. So there's a lot going on. A lot going on. Summer doldrums, I think, are finally at an end. But uh, for now, we're going to close up this edition of Download. Melissa Rio Frio, where can people find you and the stuff that you do? Uh, they can go to PCWorld.com. As clear an answer as you could ever ask for. Shahid, where can people find what you do? They can find it in the shell shed. <laughs> yes, <laughs> behind your house. Should they all come over? <laughs> Absolutely. They're, they're welcome. All right. Bring them all over. And of course, remaster on Relay FM. Indeed. And until next week, I have been your host, Jason Snell, and I will keep watching those headlines so you don't have to. See you next week, everybody. Everybody.